Father, I thank you that you love us and you care for us through the, the work of your Son. Through his work on the cross, you call us children. You even call us friends. And I ask, Father God, that you would help us this morning. I thank you that you have everything under control. That you know our hearts. You know our thoughts. You know the world situation. And we can put our trust in you. That you have a plan and a purpose. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to understand all the details of your plan. It's too great for us. But we can put our trust in you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for gathering this group of people together this morning to honor you and to glorify you. I ask, Father God, that as we look at your word, that you would transform us. That the Holy Spirit would stir us up to be bigger and greater and and mightier in you. You are so great. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Christ's name, amen. If you were here last week, we began uh, the series, The Uncompromising Life. And we're going to be looking at some highlights from the book of Daniel. And I hate to to show favorites, but I kind of... I kind of think of Daniel as one of my favorite books. Um, and then I say that, and then I, I'll study for another sermon from somewhere else, and I'll go, wow, that, this is, you know, it's all so good. This book is so important, and it's so unique, because we see how God gives Daniel all this favor because of his commitment to him. So he's so committed to God. And there is so much that we can gather for our own lives from the book of Daniel. Let's begin this morning in chapter 2. Daniel 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, so, so he's had this dream, he, he doesn't completely remember it. So he expects his wise men to come in and tell him the dream and then interpret that same dream. He's being kept from sleep through this thing. This is a, this is a hard place for him. And the king makes it even more difficult because he says, if you can't do that, if you can't tell me my dream and interpret it, you'll die. So that that was a good day to be at work for the wise men. The wise men answer him, verse 7, they answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll show its interpretation. So they're saying, you had the dream, you tell me and I'll tell you. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the the word from me is firm. So he's going, no. You're going to tell me the dream or the, the game's over. And he, he says, the king says that you're trying to gain time. And the reason is that those wise men, it was kind of a racket. They kept records of all the dreams 
they charted the dreams along with the life that the person was having that had the dream. And they put those into books, kind of, kind of like you might find in a lawyer's office. And they did that so they could find similarities and use those similarities to help interpret somebody else's dream. The Chaldeans and the wise men had massive dream libraries. And we know this because they've been found by archaeologists. So are they actually interpreting dreams? Or are they, I, I, I kind of go, you know, this is, you know, send me 20 bucks kind of thing. What would occur was the wise men would take a whole lot of time going through these books, trying to find the best way to interpret someone's dream. And that's what the king is getting at. Okay, you're just buying time so you can go to your books. The wise men really have a problem with this one because the king can't remember all the details. And they're, they're being told by the king, you've got to tell me the dream. If you're really the wise men that you say you are, you're going to tell me the dream. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. So they're just stating a fact. There's no way we can do this. This kind of a response did not go over well because the king got really angry. And he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Kill them all. The captain of the king's guard takes off with his instructions, kill the wise people. All the wise men, they're done. He's looking for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he's looking for them because they're part of this group of wise men. And he's looking for them with the intention to kill them. Daniel responds with uh, some very interesting, bold confidence. Something that we saw last week as well. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel just automatically goes into, okay, fine, I'll just go do what... I need to do. Give me time with the king. That's rather bold when he's already under the threat of death. This is very, very bold, dangerous. And it was also part of the confidence that we see that Daniel had because of his relationship to God. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house. So he didn't immediately go to the king. He goes to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So what's their response? Daniel, of course, he goes, oh, okay, so that's the problem. The king wants to kill me. My response is, I'm not going to run in fear. I'm not going to try to argue my way out of this death sentence. Daniel and his buddies, they go to God in prayer. That's the response. Their prayer for God's mercy was, was not just for them either. It was for the other wise men in 
Babylon. And God answers their prayer. Daniel's given the the vision of what the king had dreamed. And in response to God answering Daniel's prayer, Daniel gives a song of praise. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is the darkness and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made me known have now made known to me what was asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So his response is to praise God. So right away in chapter 2, we have two lessons, two important ones. When we are confronted with what appears to be insurmountable problems, is our first response to call out to God in prayer asking for his help, or do we become driven by fear and anxiety and try to solve the problem in our own strength? Is it, is it our own strength and ability that's going to solve this? That first lesson is things look bleak and hard and difficult. Let's go to God. The other lesson is attached to that, and that is that when, when God answers our prayer for help, How do we respond? Do we respond with with songs of praise? Many times people do not know that God has answered their prayer. That's why journaling prayers is really cool. You write the prayers down. And different times in my life, I've spent a lot of time doing this, and I'll write the prayer down, and I'll come back three or four weeks later and go, whoa, God did that. Because I don't always remember. We should be ready and willing when God says, yeah, I'm going to take care of that to praise him. And, and I, I really think that this is a, an important part because it's easy for us to just let God's answers slide and not acknowledge the fantastic, miraculous works of God. How many times have we spent lots of effort making sure everybody knows we need to pray for so-and-so, pray for this person, pray for that person, pray for this, pray for that. How many times do we make a big deal that God answered our prayers? I really like how Daniel then speaks to the king. In verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he is made known to the king made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has has been revealed to me Not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel here is saying, this isn't just me, king. You need to understand the the answer to your, your problem 
Knowing your dream, that's going to come from God, my God, the one true God. Daniel's saying, I'm only the mediator. I'm, I'm only here to do the work that God wants me to do. There's no pride in Daniel. Daniel doesn't take any credit. He gives all the glory to God. God's going to do this for you, king. And then he describes the king's dream. The head of this image was of fine gold. He's describing this, this statue its chest of arms and silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the dream. And then Daniel, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by God himself, gives the interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly uh, brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, this is actually a very fascinating interpretation. It's an incredibly important vision because this dream is a picture of history from Nebuchadnezzar to the return of Jesus Christ. So here we are in the time of Daniel, and God's saying, here's what's going to happen, not just in Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's time, but he's laying out a whole bunch of history all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In verse 34, the statue in this dream is toppled by a crushing blow. The entire disintegration of the statue follows and and all of its dust is blown away. The image represents, this statue represents four world empires in succession from Nebuchadnezzar to Jesus Christ. This is is important for us because it also shows us that God is in control. Paul Paul teaches us that God is in control of all countries. In Romans 13.1, Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. God is in control. He has a plan, and he sees to it that his plan unfolds. It's interesting if you look at the history. So we have Daniel's prophetic vision 
And then we have history and we can lay the two side by side. God raised up the Babylonian Empire to chasten Israel, to bring correction. That empire, the Babylonian Empire, lasted 70 years. And that was the exact number of years of Israel's Babylonian captivity. After those seven years, they started coming back. The second, come, the second kingdom that's represented in the statue, the, the arms of silver... Okay. This, res, re, this refers to the Medo-Persian Empire that came right after the Babylonian Empire. The third kingdom is Greece, and, it, and it's characterized by bronze in the statue. Greek, the Greek Empire was, was really identified with, with bronze. And one of the reasons was there was a change in, in how they did warfare. For example, a Greek soldier would have a helmet of brass and a breastplate of brass and a shield of brass, which you could contrast with the Medo-Persians, the, the kingdom that, the Greece, that, that, that Greece overthrew. The Medo-Persian soldiers would have had a soft turban and a tunic with sleeves. Who's going to win? Brass became a sign and a symbol of Greek the Greek conquests and their kingdom. In verse 40, the fourth kingdom, legs of iron. Well, all over history, that, that, that speaks of the Roman Empire. Verse 39 says this kingdom would rule over all the earth, and Rome was the strongest empire that the world has ever known. No empire since then or before, has even come close. Rome ruled with an iron rod. They were strong. This dream then continues, and and it looks into the future. So we, we can put history alongside of this and go, here's what we know has occurred in this dream from history. But now the dream takes us forward. And it shows us the millennial kingdom. Verse 44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. This is what's going to happen. And most biblical scholars agree that this part of this prophetic dream is the founding of the the kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom. Now, there's going to be differences on exactly how this all comes to pass. If you want to get a whole room full of people going and arguing over a point, do it on eschatology, the end times. Boy, people just, it's all over the place. But it's clear that God is going to set up a literal, physical, earthly kingdom. We know that from this passage in Daniel and other places. The Old Testament tells us that Jerusalem will be rebuilt, that Israel will be restored to the land. A new temple will be built. And I believe with everything that I, I've got in my studying of the word, that that's a, a literal, physical kingdom. It will have 
a spiritual reality to it as well, but it's going to be a physical kingdom. That's part of this dream. Now, back in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar responds. He's overwhelmed at the display of God's power through Daniel. First of all, Daniel was, ever to, was able to go, here's what your dream was. That in, in itself is amazing. And then he interpreted that dream. And here's how the king responds with this. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of, ministries, of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request. So he's been elevated to this position and he makes his first request. He appointed Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So in Daniel's character, he has, he has gone to God and sought God's answer to the situation, the problem. God answered that. And Daniel flawlessly presents that to the king, not operating out of fear. And the result is we have this incredible, this incredible look forward prophetically. And Daniel becomes prime minister of the Babylonian Empire, which is part of God's plan. We know that as we read through the rest of Daniel. This is God's doing this. He's setting things up. As prime minister, he, he, he gives Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego these, these higher positions. And we're going to see as we go through the book that this is part of God's plan. Daniel became prime minister in Babylon, because God put him there. You could also argue that these things happened to Daniel because God could trust Daniel. Because Daniel trusted God. Trust God and he will make your way plain. Isn't that what the psalmist tells us? Psalms 5.8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Is that our prayer? Is that what we want? Do we want God to use us and trust us with whatever? Father, I ask that you would help us to see your ways, that we would see your ways as straight before us and plain before us, that we would know that the greatest thing that we could do is put our trust in you, and honor you with our life. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you show us time after time that your word, that the scriptures are true, reliable, and faithful. Father, help us. Help us to honor and be obedient. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live within each one of us and that by your guidance, your input, your moving in us, we can move with confidence even in the midst of 
controversy and struggle and strife because our trust is in the living God. Father, thank you. In Christ's name, amen.